Welcome back, everybody. Little solo cast here for you. I wanted to sort of, uh, I don't know, resituate ourselves in the new year. It's January 2024, and um, learned a lot over the past several years since opening my practice, Beloved Holistics. If you want to check out more there, I do private consultation. I've got my midwife collaborator program there. I work with midwives across the country as their supporting physician for everything from labs to orders to signing standing orders to just being a, a consultant whenever you need it. So I've been happily serving a variety of midwives in, gosh, I think it's 25 states now, meaning I have tons of licenses, <laughs> lots of paperwork and back-end stuff there. But um, I'm also attending home births, and, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm paring down the number of home births I do this year to focus on some other things that um, have, uh, I don't know, become increasingly important to me, um, namely growing a family and being there with my girls while they're still young, uh, which is not something I can ever like go back and re-watch the recording, you know? I, I want to be there and be present. Um, but more importantly, you know, we launched this program, Mimi Linquist and I, Clear and Free, and Sarah Roster and I launched Born Free Method back in May of uh, 2023, and we are going to be adding a whole bunch of new content. And, um, you know, this community of, we have about 70 to 75 people who have joined our community, and we've had 10 or, gosh, I think it's 11 now, uh, babies born um, through the hundreds of hours of content we've put together um, a private community, weekly calls. There's just been a tremendous amount of support from Sarah and I, and families really see that it matters. So we've we asked them what they wanted to hear, um, you know, what they wanted to hear more about, what clarifications they required, and they really wanted a lot of preconception stuff, and they wanted um, some pregnancy loss, recurrent miscarriage, the infertility piece. And um, they also wanted more support when labor actually starts, you know, mindset and whatnot. So we've added a whole bunch of content that will be available to our community in February. We're currently enrolling. In case you're interested, go to bornfreemethod.com, join the waitlist, and you'll get an email with a link to enroll. And, and the reason we do these periodic enrollment periods, um, of course, you can join our community whenever. You get lifetime access to all of the content, all of the calls, the recordings. Um, you get the ability to call me and Sarah anytime while you're in your reproductive years about pregnancy, or let's say preconception all the way through birth into the postpartum period, whenever you want. So the price tag on that, of course, is is uh, uh, it's invaluable, you know, to be able to call Sarah or myself with any question, right? Whether you're in labor, whether you even, you're just contemplating having kids, or you're well beyond your baby rearing years, this is also a very valuable resource for a variety of doulas, childbirth educators, and midwives who have joined us. So um, we asked our community what you wanted to know more about, and I want to take an opportunity to to just kind of uh, elaborate on a couple of things that I think are, they're tricky. It's tricky to put words to the childbirth experience or even the sort of preconception period. Um, but what we have learned is that when people put their resources and their energy and their focus on preventing a variety, a myriad of pregnancy complications, that things just generally go better. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed to have a dreamy home birth. Um, in fact, you're not, unpopular opinion alert, you're not even guaranteed to have a living baby just because you got a positive pregnancy test. And that sounds really, really callous, but it's not. It's actually very empowering. 
because you don't have control over every aspect of this process. But those factors that you know that you do have some say over, let's invest everything we can into those those facets. And we're not just talking about the physical. We're also talking about the mental constructs and the, the emotional and spiritual aspects of this process. If you can dial yourself and your relationship in, you're going to at least fall below the average of bad things happening, right? There's no guarantee, but you can at least put yourself into the lower likelihood category. So let's first talk about a hospital birth experience versus a home birth experience. I want you to close your eyes not if you're driving. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. But I want you to close your eyes and um, and really imagine what would a, a home birth look like for you? If you're going to have another baby, you could be male listening to this. You're thinking about the birth of you know your, your partner having a baby or you're in a, you know, a gay partnership and maybe you have a surrogate. It doesn't really matter. Just, just envision for yourself what is the ideal world into which you want your baby to come. What comes to mind for me, and actually this is an exercise my wife and I did. We were walking in the woods about eight months pregnant with our first, Penelope, who if you listen all the way to the very end of the episodes, you hear her when she's about 18 months saying, good job, Dada. It's worth it. It's worth a listen. It's very cute. She said, what are you like dreaming up whenever you think about the birth? And I immediately went into this like step by step. Well, first contraction start and then this and this. And she stopped me and she was like, no, bro, you don't get it. What does it feel like? What does it? What are you tasting? What are you smelling? Who's there? What sounds are you hearing? Like, just dream it up. And so it really created this opportunity to go inward and just imagine, what would it be like if I was being born? I would want to emerge in a dark room, and I would want to be with my mom. I've heard her aorta for nine and a half months. And I've heard her, her intestines gurgling around as all this healthy food is being digested and absorbed by all these little microbes. And it was so warm in there. It was so warm. And there wasn't a lot of sound, but the sound that, that I did hear was, was deafened voices, mom and dad's voices. And I could feel dad's hands on the belly. And as I'm emerging, you know, the... the an amniotic universe is starting to contract around me and I see this light open up and I, I go towards that light and I emerge in this room that's dark and my mother puts me on her chest and there's just silence. There's just enough light to be able to see me and you can smell me and I've got this like beautiful creamy stuff all over my body, this vernix and my mom's got me on her chest like between her breasts and she's got me wrapped up in a blanket and she's kissing me and speaking to me in this gentle motherese and dad's there and he's patting my butt and he's, he's crying for the first time ever. And there's nobody there like whisking me away, nobody putting sharp things in me. There's just utter calmness. I like to imagine that because that contrasts so much with what we experience in the hospital, both as birth workers and as um, couples that are having babies, but also the babies themselves. They come into this world that is filled with a cacophony of noise and distractions and interruptions and bright lights and people have gloves and masks and they want to dry me off and weigh me and move my hips around and do this whole exam and they stick sharp things in my heels like vitamin K or they put eye goop on me to prevent you know, chlamydia or gonorrhea like heaven forbid. And 
it's maybe not until minutes to me. I don't know, maybe longer than that. Maybe it's 10 minutes before I even get to go back onto my mother's chest and hear that aorta, that, that comforting rhythmic cadence of her heartbeat again. The hospital environment is great. It's a great way to have a baby. There's no doubt. But it can get so much better if we can go back into our dream, our dreaming up of what an ideal birth might look like. It's very, very true that you cannot have an undisturbed birth in the hospital. This is why so many women who have natural, quote, physiologic births, we'll get into that term in a second, um, unmedicated, whatever, vaginal births in the hospital, still feel like something wasn't right. And a good friend of mine, Tracy Vogel, she's an OB anesthesiologist up in Pittsburgh. She was one of my mentors when I was in med school, believe it or not. And she's just this wickedly sharp, but also deeply compassionate physician that I, I just was so drawn to and she describes you know she has a um, trauma-informed practice um, the empowerment equation.com if you want to check her work out it's a it's a pro bono prenatal um, practice where she helps work through the lens of trauma-informed care unpacking people's birth stories and many of the women she's cared for in the hospital are are afraid of going back to the hospital for their next birth even though they had an unmedicated and healthy mom healthy baby and all these things that we say and um, she helps them work through that and starts by just telling the story of the birth. And um, the hospital environment simply doesn't really do this whole experience justice. In my allopathic training, the first day of med school, we went into the anatomy lab and there's a whole bunch of cadavers laying there, you know, beautiful bodies that were donated by their owners posthumously to medical education for us to understand how the joints work and how the internal organs are situated and, and tracing the different nerves and the vessels, you know, from head to toe around the body so you can really understand how the physical body is constructed. But there's a movement now towards sort of like extending life, longevity medicine, um, living forever seems to be still the name of the game. And you're not entitled to live forever any more than you were entitled to being born. So if, you know, if we, we start to listen to a lot of the people that are just hell-bent on not getting older and not allowing themselves to decay. It, um, I think it kind of misses a big point. It misses quite a bit of what I think we all hold so near and dear, which is that, you know, we'll get to birth in a second, but even just right now, everything that you're feeling is made possible through the, the lens of like Rudolf Steiner's work. I'm studying anthroposophic medicine. I'm going to read some quotes from one of my mentor here about childbirth. But um, through the lens of Steiner and anthroposophic medicine, you have these various energetic bodies. You have your physical, that's like the meat suit, right? You have your eye, which is really reflective of your connection to the divine. And then you have these two forces that are at, at, at play. One is your vital forces, your etheric, and that is kind of like a plant. It is just, it is just thriving. It is looking to grow, to grow, to grow. Think about like a tumor. It's just growing 
out of control, like a weed in the garden. Although I'd argue that there aren't any real weeds in the garden, but I digress. And so there's this light, this health, sort of flourishing of health and vitality in your etheric body. And then you have the astral, which is really the sort of seat of the soul, which actually tends you towards illness. But in order for you to be conscious, there has to be a, a vacillation between this etheric vital force and this astral sort of um, with the gesture of illness. And between that push and pull, you get feeling. So without the tendency towards illness, you can't be alive. You can't be conscious. That's why plants, it's, it's hard to argue that plants have consciousness the same way that your Labrador does, where that astral, that soul level body, um, which is driving you towards illness, but the etheric is pulling it back, right? It's this counter tension between these two forces that really creates what we call beingness, life. And if we were to only focus on just the physical and just to thrive, then we might as well just be vegetables. You know, I've got poke plants that grow um, behind our pergola in our back in our back patio here, and like it doesn't seem like we can do anything to stop that poke plant from just growing and growing and proliferating and spreading itself everywhere, every which way. It could be a poke plant, but if you wanted to be, you know, fully conscious this sort of awareness of being aware, we need to also acknowledge that we are going to tend towards illness. That is a gift. You are not your body. I was chatting with a, a friend of mine. His name's Jason. He and his wife just had a home birth. I was a, in attendance up in Albany, New York, and um, they're members of our Born Free community. And he and I were riffing on this notion that, you know, like, we don't want to die. You can't die. Anything to avoid death. But Jason was, he was like, people don't get it. You can't die. If your body and the decay of your body was all that mattered when we talk about death and dying, then you have died over and over and over again because the cells of your body are not static. The tissues aren't static. Your organs are not static. They are turning themselves over on a regular basis. Every day, millions of new blood cells, millions of new white blood cells, uh, red blood cells, white blood cells. The, the integument, even your bones are being recycled over and over. You are not your body because your body is dying and you live on. Like you don't wake up the next day and say, I've got a new body. You just are. And this is really, really important when we talk about birth, which is not a merely physiologic process. If it were, if we were only interested in studying cadavers, looking at blood under the microscope and doing imaging, right? That would be no different from us taking apart a car and then trying to put it back together. But I bet most people listening to this would agree that we are not cars. So to focus only on the physiology in the anatomy. The anatomy is the parts of the car. The physiology is how are the gases and fluids, you know, interacting with one another under high pressure and high heat in order to get the engine going and to get your brakes working and your power steering working and all of that. Cars have anatomy and they have physiology as well. But we are not cars. There's something more to this. And when a woman gives birth, she doesn't come and say, wow, I, um, 
you know, I, my carburetor or my, my liver was doing this or my lungs were doing that or my heart was doing that. No, you're not even aware of those things because the actual experience at the soul level that is being carried on perhaps to another life, if you believe in reincarnation, I certainly do. Um, probably not in the way that many people do, but I do think that there is a collective consciousness. I do think that when we die, we, we start something new. Um, and that when we are born, something ends. You know, birth and death being two sides of the same coin. And, um, you know, women often talk about the mental, the emotional, even the spiritual experience of birth. Very, very little do they focus on the physical until the word death comes into the picture. And, of course, we say, well, you know, I, I asked uh, two friends of mine, Burning Man friends, recently, and they, they, were, they just found out they were pregnant. And I said, what are your biggest fears? And he said, I just want a healthy baby that isn't deformed, and I want my wife to live through this. And I said, well, you know, he, and he went on and on and on. And, and, and I said, you know, you're not guaranteed any of those things. I said, so what can you control? We can control a lot of things. We can't control the outcome. We can't become married to the outcome. As soon as we become married to an outcome, then everything shy of that outcome becomes a failure. And frankly, I can think of a lot of things that are worse than death. But when we lose a baby, it's hard to look past the blaming and the shaming and the guilt that we carry. When we only advertise a healthy baby, a healthy mom, we miss an opportunity to grow as a community, to, to, to lean into supporting one another. Instead, we just want to point the finger and blame. And um, that blaming, that need to make somebody responsible for bad things is a reflection of our absolute morbid terror of death itself. I want to read a little, a couple little snippets from the introduction, actually, of a book written by my anthroposophic medicine mentor, Lynn Madsen, Rebounding from Childbirth Toward Emotional Recovery. Uh, Lynn is a uh, medical doctor who also extended her training into the anthroposophic medical sciences. So she's my mentor as I'm going through this training. And I'm just going to riff here and, and pick a couple little things. These are all Lynn's words. Many medical experts tell us what they think we need, and we do not question their advice. Then we doubt our own sanity and abilities after some procedure is done. Each woman needs to decide for herself what her birth means to her, how she needs to heal, and how she will integrate her birth experience into the rest of her life. And then she goes on to describe her uh, birth story. This is her first birth. The underground world is most difficult to ignore while in labor as the baby is being born. I am going deeper and cannot turn back or make the baby stay inside. I could deny being on this journey, but I am on it even in the beginning stages of labor when contractions are irregular and faint. My sweet dream of going on a journey to a land filled with brilliant colored flowers, green fields, and sparkling mountains keeps returning to me. I sense spirits available if I allow them to be. Labor recalls my origin, my own birth. I have traveled this path before. The way underground is blocked, as though the mud is too thick to fall through. That mass of family history and pain has to be passed through, shoved through, lifted off and away. Any method that would work is fine. Then the birth canal can be traveled. 
This new little being does not have to be swept away by a repeating pattern. I shove the mud away and focus on my cervix opening up. That is what is underneath the family pain. Feel it. Go for it. She then, uh, these are my words, she then proceeds to have a very kind of traumatic experience um, and is rushed in for an emergency C-section due to cord prolapse. She says, I have died. I am in the bowels of the earth, stripped down to bare bone, and my bones ground up to dust. From destruction, new life is conceived in an unknown form. The journey upward begins here on a new, unfamiliar course, a different river to an unknown outcome. All I feel is grief, though there is the promise of new life. The journey was interrupted and rerouted. The birth pain, the necessary pain, didn't get to be used. It was shoved aside, bulldozed over. A different pain replaces it, a dull, red-hot scalpel pain. I had a life-saving operation that has its own necessary pain, but a part of me died. The birth canal aches because it was not used. There is no relief. The river washes over me. There is no way of knowing how life will proceed. I am sacrificed in some way, consciously or unconsciously. I surrender, willingly or unwillingly. The earth is where the dead are buried, compost ferments and breaks down. Decay is elemental. Rooted to the underground, waste flows out freely to be recycled. Terror, trauma, anger, annihilation, all dive into the ground, are welcomed into the ground. The mystery takes over. Baby Evan wanted to live. His life force was so strong. His little heart continued to beat, and he came into this world alive. So I bend toward the light, whatever light I can find, for my own heart also continues to beat. In those first days of my son's life, I feel no joy. I landed on another planet. I am only grateful to be alive because Evan is alive. As the river flows upward, it cleanses. The new life is slowly built, yet much stronger. The shedding of the past continues with every river bend. Old crud sifts to the river bottom, allowing new life to grow. I shed old skin, old feelings, old patterns, as my first look at these new surroundings tells me that life is different. We arrive at our house. I cry while walking through each room. How can I take care of an infant and recover myself? I tell my story over and over and keep close those friends who will listen to any detail I want to say, who will nurture me as much as I am able to receive, who understand the darkness, who respect its strength. While preparing to reemerge out to the above ground world, I rebuild my strength so that I can again be independent relatively independent from the raw life forces underground. The underground current is sensed when I stop and listen. I no longer dread the journey or wonder where it will take me next time. My birth, another's birth, a miscarriage, an abortion, my death, another's death, birth and death of dreams, desires, fears. With my feet firmly planted on the ground, I tap into the mystery. All right, these are my words now. I hope you can just sit with some of that language, which frankly is uh, beautiful. It's, it, it describes some of these things that I will never fully appreciate. And you know, let me also say, I am no expert in childbirth because I'll never have a baby. These um, rare initiations, these rites of passage that were offered, um, Frankly, there are, really aren't any. 
But being born and giving birth is certainly one that will outlast outlast time. And I, I think it deserves a little more appreciation than just uh, the biohacking trips, tricks and, and, you know, six tips for having a great home birth or even like the burn the system kind of messaging. The medical establishment, the medical military industrial complex, this leviathan that has consumed all of our attention in childbirth from preconception in, in, in suboptimal fertility and beyond, of course it doesn't see that story as valuable as I do. I mean, nobody's going to read that and think like, oh, great, like I'm going to go back to watching Netflix. Like that's a pretty powerful tale. And that's just the introduction to her book. Lynn Madsen's book, Rebounding from Childbirth. It's a must read. Please go pick up a copy. But notice that she said, you know, she wanted to share her story with anybody willing to listen to every detail that she wished to include. When we do that, we start to unpack that, that yeah, you really aren't your body. And this process of childbirth is not a medical procedure. Pregnancy is not a disease. That, what she described, was f going to the underworld and then having to claw her way back up to the surface. And then even after the birth, even though her baby Evan was just fine and she did ultimately recover from that you know, tremendously hard experience, you never fully heal from these types of things. And you're not supposed to. It's supposed to become a part of the story. It's supposed to be reflected in everything you do in life. That's what a rite of passage is. So if we are only going to focus on what's called like physiologic birth, we're kind of missing the point, guys. Yes, it is important for us to see what is possible when we don't get in the way of natural, the physiology of childbirth. Yes, and that is something the allopathic model can definitely do better. But if you're out there practicing as a doula, as a midwife, as an OBGYN, as a human being in the world, and you just see this as a matter of living mom, living baby, that's all that we care about. There's still a lot of harm that can be done, sometimes far more deeply seated harm, which could be called trauma, unintegrated stress. And frankly, the, sh the, the trauma that is being inflicted on women at the hands of doctors that are so well-intentioned and the nurses that support their practices is, I would argue, sometimes worse than even the other traumas that come to mind. I've never been raped, but the number of women who said it felt like I was raped again, again and again and again at the hands of our medical system, or even a midwife that still is trying to do this in a way in the home that is um, part and parcel completely devoid of any immeasurable facets of this process. That's where this harm is done. And that's what I'm so compelled to work towards is to get people to appreciate that if we want to change the world, we have to get birthright. And once we get birthright, then we can start rebuilding. But as it stands, we have babies being born into this milieu of uh, largely unnecessary interventions that strip the baby's ability to co-regulate with their mother away. 
And the, the woman who's given birth is going to struggle to even support a baby when they are so frazzled and discombobulated themselves from a nervous system standpoint to even a physical standpoint, having your belly ripped open for a baby to remove. In our country, that's happening 40% of the time. So we've got a lot of stuff here, compelling stuff to work with. And that's where uh, my life is leading me. And that's why I'm taking some time away from homebirths in order to help orchestrate some of these feelings through you know, our, my annual conference in Louisville. It's August 8th through the 11th. If you're a birth worker and you want to come and attend, you'll learn twins, you'll learn breach. And we're going to be talking a lot about trauma and um, mortality and bringing some ritual and ceremony back into these experiences. It's less a conference and more of a refuge for people that resonate with, you know, people like Lynn Madsen who wrote this beautiful book. This takes me to the next really, really important piece of this puzzle, which is, okay, we can go to the, you know, Kaisers and the Mayos and the Johns Hopkins of the world and, and, and with our pitchforks and torches and, and demand that the system be burned down. That's, that's one way to approach it. But we do need hospitals. Have the hospitals and the healthcare practitioners become a little heavy-handed with their care of um, fertility and pregnancy and childbirth and the postpartum period? Yeah, of course. We'd love to see sweeping reform there. But many of the people that are, that are um, uh, perpetuating this message of, you know, allopathic medicine sucks and it needs to all go to waste and, and whatnot, You've never had a real emergency. You've never actually had your life saved. And, and that's okay. I haven't either. But I do know that there's a good reason to have surgeons and operating rooms and antibiotics and IVs and ventilators and, and what have you. The same people that are perpetuating this message, I think, oftentimes haven't, you know, as I mentioned, they haven't really experienced the, the um, full capacity of a Western hospital system to save lives. And they're also and and they're simultaneously, uh, uh, you know, pushing for like quick fixes and remedies. You know, Doctor Riley, is there any you know natural remedy for X, Y, or Z? It's like you're you're asking the wrong question because the main problem with the allopathic model, the way that we got here, was that we've incentivized very smart, well-intentioned people to go through medical school in order to um, outshine their peers in the timeliness and effective uh, and efficacy with which they can diagnose a problem and then find the fix. And fortunately, we have a very large corporatocracy in big pharma to provide us the quick fixes for nearly every problem. And then we train as surgeons in order to do the rest, removing tumors, removing this, reconstructing this, removing babies through the abdomen. And, um, what you're seeing in the natural health world right now is no different from this prescriptive model that needs to die in allopathic medicine. It is the primary issue. Because both, even though you know one camp thinks the allopathic medical system sucks, the allopathic, me allopathic medical system also thinks that just throwing a natural remedy, I'm using air quotes on my end, at a problem is also not sufficient. And they're both right because they're both wrong. <laughs> We can't continue to see the physical body, especially the birth experience, as a merely physiologic process. We run into issues here 
Because again, if you're going to deconstruct a car and try to put it back together, yeah, you can get aftermarket whatever carburetors or whatever. I don't even know about cars, but you could go and get those parts and you could replace them and the car will run well, but you're not a car. The car doesn't have an animating life force, right? There's no connection to the divine in a car. So all these biohacking tricks and the supplements and all this other stuff, it still is hinge, hinging on this, this determination to find a quick fix to a problem that is far more complicated. And the only other modality that I have found that has truly encompassed the complexities of the human beingness is anthroposophic medicine. And while it doesn't come to you with a quick fix guide, it's not supposed to, because, and thank God it doesn't, because that would be so allopathic. The biohackers and a lot of these influencers on Instagram and whatnot, they're just as problematic because they're, they're giving you, instead of pharmaceuticals, they're giving you Shilajay or red light therapy or cold immersion or sauna or whatever as a quick fix for something. But it misses the point. It misses the point because those things are documented in peer-reviewed literature and anecdotally as a means of changing physiology and anatomy. But the physiology and anatomy is just the physical. So we're just stuck in this place where we can't detach ourselves, the self, from the physical vehicle that allows us to experience all of the richness and beauty in the world. So in the Born Free Method, we do focus a lot on um, lifestyle modification because, frankly, instead of going and in, 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 uh, demanding that we burn the system down, I'd like the system to stay there. I think that we have a, a more... Mm, more elegant strategy on our hands, which is to make the system obsolete unless it's absolutely necessary to go there. And that's where, let's say you had um, a history of hyperemesis gravidarum, tremendously hard condition to have in pregnancy, or cholestasis of pregnancy, intrahepatic cholestasis, or history of preeclampsia, um, history of gestational diabetes. There is so much at your fingertips in order to improve your chances of this not happening in a future pregnancy. When you get your labs done or you get an imaging done or, or somebody opens up your body, it's kind of like operating on a moving stream where every moment that passes, the stream is going to have a different pH. It's going to have different constituent parts so if we're, you know, if we even consider looking at like Netter's textbook, right? You're looking at how the trapezius muscles and the muscles and integument and all this stuff fits together. There are not even defined contours there. So if we're going to supplement with magnesium, we have to be considerate of the fact that a, a lab value is a frozen moment in time. But you are not a frozen individual in time. You're not the cadaver. You are an ever-evolving biodynamic being that is just as reliant on your environment as some connection to something bigger than yourself as you are to your physical body. And there's this milieu of fluid forces, right? Air and water elements and warmth that are actually animating you and bringing you to life. And this is why when a person has a baby, they don't talk about the physical as much as they talk about how tremendously hard it was the psyche. It's also why people often say things like, I felt like I was going to die, similar to Lynn here. So we have to um, bear in mind that 
that if we can take into account the physical using supplements, using exercise, using all those things, and, and incorporate aspects of the mental, the emotional, and the emotional you could think of as, um, let's start with the mental. The mental is sort of like, if you imagine you have limiting beliefs, I don't know if you've worked in, in, in applied kinesiology at all, but if you hold your left arm out in front of you, and you say something that isn't true. Like if I were to say, I am a woman, the, I wouldn't be able to hold that arm up when a practitioner, a trained practitioner is pushing it down. But if I said, I am a man, suddenly the muscles would engage and there'd be this connection to truth. It'd be a congruent statement with my physical corpus, my physical being. This is a way to kind of unpack how the, the mind and the body actually work together. Look at the work of Joe Dispenza. A lot of these kind of new agey, kind of on the fringe, people pushing the envelope. This is what they're talking about. And then on the, the emotional side, we have to consider how are we coping with the stressors in our life? Very, very relevant to the childbirth experience, especially when people are being fed fear-mongering at every angle, from the lady in the grocery store to ACOG's guidelines to whatever podcast you know that they listen to. And then, of course, there's the spiritual that's the connection to something bigger than yourself. You can call it God, you can call it source, spirit, whatever you want. But when we can take all of those things into account, then the magic begins. That's when the supplements and these biohacking tricks and all these other tools can start to actually be implemented. But if we're not going to do that, then we're just trying to, um, we're building a house on like a faulty, unstable foundation. So I've said a lot here. I hope that you've enjoyed this. Um, the Born Free Method has hundreds of hours of content just like this, where we really try to help people appreciate that you have so much power. And if you can take accountability for how you're showing up for yourself, for your partner, for this baby, um, showing up in the world at large, there is tremendous power there. You can say no to anything, and you have to own the outcomes of those decisions. But you can only really feel like you know you've owned it if you're guided just uh, not only by your intuition but also by the recommendations of your chosen healthcare team um, and you take into ex into account what the data can actually tell you which is generally not going to be all that generalizable hundreds of hours of content we're adding 48 new lessons to the already 110 those new that new content will cover everything from breastfeeding to pregnancy loss to recurrent miscarriage to my fertility workup um, we're going to be diving deep into um, uh, thyroid disease in pregnancy, intrahepatic cholestasis in pregnancy, and nausea and vomiting in pregnancy, which, by the way, if you're interested in this hyperemesis conversation, what I generally tell people is if you had that in a previous pregnancy, we need to focus on a couple things. First off, we need to flush out your liver and get those phase one and phase two metabolic roots operating in, <laughs> in full flow. Um, we need to make sure that your kidneys are operational. We need to be hydrating well. We need to make sure that your micronutrients are not deficient. And that comes through five of nature's multivitamins, eggs, fermented cod liver oil, bone broth, um, smoked oysters, and beef liver and other organ meats. If you're getting all of those in there, you're going to be very, very well nourished. Add on some high-quality prenatal vitamins. My personal favorite is Weenatal. Um, you can go to weenatal.com slash beloved, and you can check them out. Um, add that in there, and you've got... Your, 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 your nutrition level is going to be you know, optimized. From a standpoint of this nausea and vomiting piece, vitamin B6 at a relatively high dose, 50 milligrams per day, as soon as you want to start trying to conceive, it's going to be great. 
But even better would be to just get nature's multivitamins, eat them in, in as many uh, um, servings as you can per week. Um, when people want to work one-on-one with me, I also tell them, you need to be sleeping at least eight hours per day for five out of seven nights for six weeks, and then I'll work with you one-on-one. I've had too many requests, and now it's like, if you're not going to do the very basics, I can't help you. That's going to be helpful for this process. Um, from a liver cleansing standpoint, there's a great product from Quicksilver, Push Catch. I have a link on my website at uh, belovedholistics.com if you want to get a little discount there, but it's not rocket science. It's things like chicory and dandelion tea. Um, dandelion tea, by the way, one cup per day is just fine in pregnancy. It'll help keep some of those metabolic processes in your liver cleansing and cleansing and cleansing. Um, if you have heartburn, you need to add acid to your food. If you find that, especially if you have um, an issue with reflux or this nausea problem when you're eating high protein or high fat, you've got to add some HCL. And that can come in the form of, of um, apple cider vinegar or lime or lemon. Um, papaya is great. It has some additional digestive enzymes. Pineapple before you eat, those types of things can be very, very helpful because you're getting the reflux not because you have too much acid. You're getting it because you don't have enough acid. And so getting that digestive process up and cranking out um, uh, cranking really early on in the GI tract is going to be really, really helpful. The vitamin B6, of course, you're getting a lot of B vitamins from nature's multivitamins, but that is especially relevant for this uh, nausea piece. And then only after you've tried all of those things and then you get pregnant and you maybe are still having a little bit of nausea and vomiting. And by the way, if you do everything I just described, you're probably not going to have an issue with your... Um, with nausea and vomiting. If you do all of those things, in addition to making sure your thyroid is working well, you're very, very unlikely to have as bad an experience in an upcoming pregnancy as you did in your first. But frankly, this, um, all of these things can be done before you even step into the conversation around which pharmaceuticals to use. Your midwife or doctor is most likely going to pre- prescribe Ondansetron, which is known as Zofran. That's the brand name. It's the fifth most common prescribed medication in pregnancy, and it doesn't do shit for nausea. Occasionally, people will, will report some benefit, but for the most part, it's not even the best medication. But it is so, like, we've just d- developed this prescriptive um, sort of scripting as to what you do with nausea and vomiting. And uh, frankly, it, it doesn't take a functional approach. It doesn't even really consider what the hell else could be causing this. It's just throw this medicine. You have nausea, throw this medicine at it. So it's no surprise it doesn't work. But then again, maybe we should consider, you know, some of the previous experiences. Let's do a biographical sketch and let's see how maybe some of the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of who you are might be contributing to this inability to tolerate, you know, high protein foods. There's a whole bunch of things that can come out of that conversation. So I digressed. Um, we've um, covered all the pregnancy loss, recurrent miscarriage, the infertility workup, um, thyroid disease and pregnancy, um, intrahepatic cholestasis. Um, I've already mentioned the hyperemesis gravidarum and the nausea and vomiting picture. These are added to an already 110 lessons, which covers every intervention under the sun, including some controversial ones like ultrasound and vaccines and vitamin K and GBS and antibiotics and all of that. Um, There's a whole unit just for dads. We're going to be adding more to that in the middle of 2024. When you guys come into the community, you never invest more. You just continue to get more content. So if you're going to have one kid, 10 kids, you're a birth worker who's going to do this work for 20 more years, 
there is plenty here for you. We also have a private community where I post interesting articles and other resources that I've found, including Lynn Madsen's book, Rebounding from Childhood. I'm going to have Lynn on the podcast too, by the way, so you'll get to hear directly from her. Um, we get into, um, most importantly, a lot of the lifestyle modifications, you know, six foundational principles that I learned from Paul Check: sleep, breathing, um, mindset, uh, your nutrition, your food, your dietary intake, um, hydration, and uh, what's the last one? Oh, I think I probably covered it all there. But you, you get the point here. Um, most childbirth programs are not doing that because most birth workers, doctors and midwives alike, have no idea how to care for themselves. And I have been on this journey. I have two little girls. The second was born at home. The second would have been born at home, but my wife felt more comfortable in the hospital. We were 10 centimeters when we, when we transferred. Um, I made the call because I had done a gentle check, and I just felt a head there. And I said very calmly, honey, I think it's time that we go to the hospital. So I've been there, um, and in my home birth experiences, I have a lot of people who have had really, really severe complications like HELP syndrome in their first pregnancy resulting in a 35-week C-section, um, severe preeclampsia requiring mag sulfate resulting in a 36-week C-section, and then having a beautiful home birth, which happened to be a surprise breach at home in her third pregnancy, but didn't develop any, any even remotely you know, uh, hypertensive readings on the blood pressure cuff. Um, her labs were perfect. She took good care of herself, but that's what we do. And it's not my job to say you should have a birth here or there, or have a birth one way or the other, or have a midwife or a doctor. We, meaning Sarah Rosser, my co-creator, she's one of the farm midwives, um, she and I really want you to feel supported no matter where this journey takes you. So go to bornfreemethod.com. Would love to have you. And if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, find me on Instagram at Nathan Riley, OBGYN. The website for Born Free Method is bornfreemethod.com. During this unique enrollment period, you're, all, you're getting a discount before we bump the prices up. And you're going to get a 30-day supply of prenatals from WeNatal for both him and her. You're going to get a print from um, Spiral Seeds. Jesse White is a local Louisville artist, very visionary, very, very connected to this process of conception and death. And her, her artwork is just stunning. So you're going to get a print from her, and you're going to get a postpartum fitness consultation with our very own Sarah Rosser. Um, when you enroll or when you um, jump on the wait list, you're also going to get my six guiding principles for empowered healing and birthing on your own terms, which is <laughs> kind of like my first book. But it's very, very short, but it's very, very pithy. It's straight to the point. Um, we'd love to have you. Thank you for listening, guys, and I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you for always giving me a little bit of your time every week here on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. I'll see you soon.